This is Matt Schneider from Fargo Shields Outdoors, and you are listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Mike Anderson here, and I'm joined by Matt Schneider of the Fargo Shields Outdoors social media pages, and we're going to be talking bass fishing today. Matt, thanks for joining us. How's your open water season been so far? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, open water season's been, it's been interesting this year, that's for sure, but definitely still catching a pile of fish and lots of open water to be had yet this year, so. Mm-hmm. Do you think the, you know, we've kind of had a funky spring around here, you know, it seemed like winter stayed pretty late and then it got super wet. Uh, do you think that's having a, a major impact on your fishing? Oh, absolutely. Like what I was just telling you too earlier about uh, post-spawn fish right now. Um, so water temps have been fluctuating between like five, six degrees over the last like three weeks. And these smallmouth bass and these largemouth bass just got done with their spawning situation. And a lot of those bigger females, they start to push out deep. They start to push on secondary points, uh, humps out deep, like in 20, 25 feet of water. And what I'm seeing now is that that transition isn't going as smooth because of the water temp fluctuations right now. So I'm finding post-spawn females up shallow. I'm finding a mid-water column. And I'm also finding them out deep. So I don't know what to target. At least we're still catching them, but I just want to get on a normal schedule and have the fish do what they're supposed to do. So it's been kind of goofy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like fish ever do exactly what you want them to do. Um, have you noticed uh, like higher water levels around and is that having an impact too? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's a single North Dakota or Minnesota lake that's normal pool right now. Um, a lot of lakes are sometimes two, three feet three foot up right now. It's crazy. Uh, The amount of rain that we got this spring and the rain coming after the spring too. I mean, it's just been, it's been crazy how high the water uh, levels are. But one thing with those lakes that you're seeing is say if I fish a lake, we'll just call it Lake X. Over the past two years, all of a sudden I'm fishing this rock that's in 15 feet of water. Well, now that rock is in like 18 feet of water, 17 feet of water and your onshore structure and thank God for GPS and on the locators to mark my waypoints. Cause if I was going off landmarks, some of those landmarks are sunk right now. So, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a locator on your boat with GPS, please go get one. Cause you never know what's going to happen. Um, but a lot of those onshore structures, say if you have a stump that's in the water, like just barely in the water. Now there's like two feet of water around it. And I guarantee there's fish hanging off it. So it's worth hitting those other structures that you see on the side of the lake. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So speaking of structure, what sort of structure are you, do you most like to target right now for the next upcoming month or so? Well, for the next month, like with water temps where they're at and those fish are going to start moving back shallow, uh, your weed lines are really, really uh, fun to fish. The main reason being is all those weed lines are super healthy. A lot of the fry, like little uh, baby bass, baby walleye, whatever, they're all hanging in the weeds because it's their best way to survive 
other than being out in the open. Um, so there's a bunch of bait in there and there's so much oxygen. All those, all those weed lines and all those weeds are filled up and they're lively right now. So all those fish are starting to push into the weeds. And one thing I like to do is go on the edge of weed lines, like deep weed edges and throw a drop shot or a jig and just drag it along. And to say that I'm always going to run into largemouth or smallmouth there. No, I will catch walleye. I'll catch pike. I'll catch crappie. Everything is hanging out in the weeds right now. So, mm-hmm. And that goes for, like, granted, that's North Dakota, Minnesota, but that goes everywhere. So once you hit those water temps around, you know, 75, 76, that's when it starts to really hit hard on the weeds. Okay. And are, are you looking for offshore weeds mainly, stuff that's below the surface? Or are you looking at a lot of weed edges that are visible? So that kind of goes lake by lake. Um, one thing I noticed in Minnesota is I have a couple lakes that, you know, you'll see the tops, of the weeds on the surface, and that will be the weed edge. Like it'll just stop right there. But there's a lot of lakes in Minnesota where those weeds just keep going out and out and out. And that's where I like to use my electronics and really find that edge. Cause once you find that edge, then you're going to start finding better fish. And that could be, that could be in 10 feet of water. That could be in 25 feet of water. You just got to use your electronics and find that edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've, I've noticed like, while in, in our areas, they're starting to become more and more of a presence of zebra mussels and things are getting mm-hmm. a lot clearer and your, your weed edges are becoming a lot deeper too. Absolutely. And that's the thing about zebra mussels too. Like I really don't know what they do other than clear up the water clarity. And I love it for when the bass are spawning. Cause then I could easily see where they're spawning and look at their beds and stuff, but I don't really know what harm they do other than like weeds and stuff, but I'll just keep listening to the DNR and I'll clean drain and dry my boat each time I go out. So I'll just keep listening. Yeah, definitely <laughs> just follow the rules, but you know, it, it is kind of interesting cause it just, it really makes you shift your tactics a little bit. Absolutely. Well, and that's another thing too. Uh, Once you do start pushing to Minnesota where there's a ton of zebra mussels like coating the bottom, you know, I've noticed that you can't really throw a Ned rig or like a jig or something like that on those coated bottoms without a fluorocarbon leader. Braid just gets nicked up too much and all of a sudden you'll get bit and it'll just snap off and you'll be all flustered. So fluorocarbon can definitely handle that a little bit better than braid can. Uh, but still each, like every five fish, I like to retie and check my fluorocarbon leader. Cause you never know when it just gets nicked. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I, I have an unfortunate story on that. You know, this is 4th of July weekend. I, I did not have much time to fish. We were hosting a wedding at our lake place and, and is just a lot of chaos going on. So unfortunately fishing got set on the back burner, but I threw, I, you know, I grabbed my bait caster and a chatterbait, and I threw a couple of times. First was at a dock across, nothing there. But then I found, you know, I, I looked around the edge of the pontoon, mm-hmm. and there was just this nice shadow there. So I was like, if I was a bass, I'd be hanging out right there. So tossed it in there, solid cast, put in three cranks, and then I just got smashed. And fought him for about four seconds, and, and my line snapped. And I looked, and there was all kinds of nicks on my on my leader and I was like, wow, I I really should have paid a little bit more attention to that. Yeah. And that's just the thing too. I fish, I fish a lot 
with uh, other anglers for tournaments and stuff. We'll either fish on their boat or fish on my boat. You know, we'll just kind of bounce back and forth. And I have a couple buddies that swear by every fish that you catch, retie. And I just think that's crazy. Like, I'm like, no way, I'm not going to retie. There, I go some days without even retying the entire time. Granted, I suffer from it the next day, but it is what it is at that point. But they'll look at me after I'll catch like a four pound or a five pound largemouth, put it in the well, and they'll be like, you're going to retie? I'm like, no, I'm not going to retie. I need to get back out in the water. They're like, you're crazy. You're going to lose a fish. Okay, whatever. So, but there's a lot of those hardcore guys that retie every single fish. So it's, it's wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, what would your recommendation be on retying then just when you see visible wear? So most times often than not, you can't always see that physical wear on your line. So if I get snagged or if I catch a fish that wraps me around something or whatnot, um, I'll always just do the hand test and I'll run my hand down my fluorocarbon leader and just wait. And if I feel a nick, I retie immediately. So, and that goes for if I do catch a pike or something like that, like a toothy critter, then I always check it out because more times often than not, that line just kind of got wrapped around and then it gets nicked a couple times. So, mm-hmm. good advice. So let's, uh, let's go back a little bit into, you know, your tactics and your strategies. What sort of baits do you really like to use now for the next month? So my deck of my boat kind of looks like a spider web this time of the year or a spider, I should say, you know, there's rods everywhere because I never know what I really enjoy throwing. Uh, but a couple of my go-to baits uh, from now till I would say fall is going to be deep diving crankbait, uh, topwater frog, topwater spook or a whopper plopper, drop shot and jig. Those are like my five go-tos right now. So that way I have like kind of all the bases covered and I have a couple baits in there intermittent that I can, you know, throw wherever in the water column and I'm able to go. So, but a lot of, a lot of people do really like to throw and I like to throw them too, uh, Ned rigs and stuff, but that's more of my springtime bait, um, that I can throw that up shallow and stuff when they're pre-spawn and do really well on it. But soon as the weeds come up, I really like to fluctuate like my fluorocarbon leader below my drop shot hook. Cause then I can make it either two feet, four feet, five feet, whatever I really want to do. So. Okay. Nice. Do you have any tips for, uh, for staying, you know, like not getting your lures gummed up with weeds? Cause that's, that's probably my biggest struggle with bass fishing is I'll throw stuff out and I'll come <laughs> back with weeds. And it's like, well, that was a wasted cast. That was a wasted cast. But I mean, you never really know like how long you're retrieving weed free, but, uh, yeah. Totally. Any advice on that? Well, it really just comes down to the type of bait that you're throwing. Uh, like, let's go back to the Ned rig. They do make weedless Ned rigs out there. And is that to say, like, if I throw it in milfoil that it's not going to come back with weeds? Of course it's going to come back with weeds. You're throwing in milfoil or whatnot. But if you're throwing, like, in those stringy weeds, I think it's like duckweed is what it's called. Someone's going to comment that I made that wrong, but whatever. <laughs> um, uh, they're really long, stringy weeds, and uh, the type of, like, bait that I'm throwing in there, they make certain um, like aspects of those baits. So say, let's take a chatterbait, go down to a smaller blade, uh, put a smaller paddle tail on there, like a Kytec or something like that, something super slim. Uh, that way it can maneuver through the weeds a little bit better. 
jig. They make a punching jig for if you're flipping milfoil, flipping lily pads, stuff like that. It just has a different uh, top of the jig head, so it's easier to go in and out of the weeds. Um, and then drop shot. I love throwing drop shot in the weeds. Everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I'll, I'll take one of those pencil weights, and I could, like I was saying earlier, I could fluctuate if I want two feet of line uh, from my hook down to my weight, or I could put five feet of line, six feet of line, 10 feet of line if I really want to. It gets hard to cast once you get to about six feet, but you're still able to do it. And that just keeps that bait suspended mm-hmm. and it gets hit every time. Yeah. And you're just, you're just always in the right strike zone there. Yeah. And I'm probably, I'm probably going to make people mad, but I cannot throw the weightless Sanko. <laughs> like everyone across the United States has that one go-to bait and it's the weightless Sanko wacky rig Sanko or whatnot. I can't throw it. And I'm, I like to say I'm a pretty good bass fisherman, but I cannot throw that weightless Sanko. It just does not work for me. Is it just like you can't get it out there or you just don't catch fish on it? Well, A, I don't catch fish on it. B, my girlfriend outfishes me on it. <laughs> and C, I don't have enough patience with it. I like to turn and burn, like throw out there as fast as you can and reel in as fast as you can, essentially. I, I like to go when I'm fishing. I don't like to wait and watch my Sanko fall like five inches below the water every five seconds like that's just not exciting yeah that's just that that makes sense why you prefer bass fishing over over a lot of other species exactly exactly so i was definitely i was definitely brought up to be a walleye fisherman um my dad would take me all the time out and we'd catch fish and it was a lot of fun but don't get me wrong like i do not like trolling slow or like trolling at all essentially and just sitting there and waiting for the fish to come to me. I want to go to that fish. I want to go to that fish. I want to chase it. And I want to cast that really cool structure and catch a fish on it. So whereas in walleye fishing, you really couldn't do that. Granted, now it's starting to change. Yeah, there definitely has been a huge shift. And, you know, like I've noticed that in my own personal fishing style too. Mm -hmm. It's like I grew up just, you know, dragon bottom bouncers, you know, (laughs) like that's pretty much all I did. And then every once in a while we'd pull crankbaits, but now it's like, you know, you're throwing paddle tails, you're throwing jigging wraps, you're doing all, you know, drop shots, you know, all this different, different sort of stuff. And it's just, I find myself having a lot more fun with it. Yeah. It's, it's also, um, well also you're going to make Jaden Thomas, your other guest, really mad that you said drop shot for uh, walleye fishing <laughs> that's like a secret so sorry Jaden. yeah it's, it's not so much of a secret anymore it's uh, <laughs> no it's, it's really not very increasing in in popularity there mm-hmm. and maybe i was just at a young age like when i went walleye fishing and i didn't think too much science went into it but now i watch like uh, i have some family relatives that fish in the nwt they'll pull cranks and you know when you think pulling cranks oh they're just putting a crankbait out there and they're putting in the rod holder call it good but no like the science that goes behind all this and like the the run charts of your crankbait at what certain speed what depth you want it on if you want to put planer boards on stuff like that lead core versus braid versus uh mono like it is absolutely insane the amount of stuff that goes into pulling a crankbait like yeah you could go out there and just like throw a crankbait off the side of the boat, troll three miles an hour, 2.5 miles an hour or whatnot, and probably get bit. 
but the amount of science that goes into it, if you want to do it like to its fullest extent, is absolutely mind boggling. So kudos to you guys that like pull cranks and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot of technology going into it now. And, you know, how, when I first started is exactly like you were saying, you know, you just toss one out there and hope for the best. But, yeah, those uh, like the apps and the planer boards and the lead core and all that has turned into, you know, some real game changers for you. Absolutely. Yeah, we, uh, although I do say I'm a bass fisherman, every now and again, my friends, they kidnap me and we, they take me walleye fishing against my will. Um, the other day we were pulling planer boards for them. And, you know, I was, I just asked the question, I'm like, so what happens like when a fish takes that planer board? Do you just see it like start chugging or like, do you mainly watch the rod tip? And they're like, no, you'll know. I'm like, okay, whatever that means. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I'm watching this outside planer board, and, you know, they have those flags on them. Yep. All of a sudden, the flag just goes, boop, straight down. Like, uh, flag down? Does that mean fish? And they're like, yeah, that's a good fish. Like, how do you know that? Like, okay, hand me the rod. And it was like a 28-inch walleye. I'm like, okay, that was fun. Thank you. Nice. Now I'm just going to drive the boat for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it takes a little setup, you know, doing the whole planer board game, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a lot of waiting after that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you look on internet forums and, and, you know, Instagram and stuff like that. And there's a lot of memes out there that, that bass fishermen get a lot of flack, you know, walleye guys you know like they get they get tired and you know turn into bass fishermen or stuff like that what uh what sort of response do you have to that oh man you know the quote that comes to mind is oh they made bass for the guys that couldn't catch walleyes or whatnot like okay whatever and to be honest like yeah we do get a bunch of slack but it's one of those things where i like throwing at structure like I like throwing exciting baits and bass put up a tremendous amount of fight. And granted, people also do say, why do you go fishing for a fish that you're not going to keep? Well, I do go walleye fishing every now and again, but for bass fishing, it's just, it's the pure excitement of being offshore fishing a 15 foot rock pile or whatnot in four footers. And you have a five and a half pound smallie on the other end and it jumps like six feet in the air. Like that is absolutely crazy. And some of the largemouth bites that we're able to get in Minnesota, throwing a scum frog or like a spro frog up in the lily pads, 50 yards. And then you got to get that big bass, like back to the boat. It's just exciting. So you don't know when that fish is going to spit that lure. And if you got the a good enough hook set, and I mean, who doesn't like to put a good hook set into a fish and bass fishing, you get that all the time. Yeah, so. you can you can really lean into them when you're bass fishing, especially you doing like lily pad stuff. Absolutely. And I think God, what are they what do they call it? The old KVD hook set or whatnot? <laughs> yep. <laughs> like that's what I try for each time. Each time I get bit, reel up the slack and just send her home. So and that is a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've I've definitely started taking a like into bass fishing. It is an enjoyable time. Yeah, and I mean, you just, you find them hanging around stuff that you normally wouldn't see fish hanging out. Um, Like earlier this spring, I was throwing a jig at one of those stumps that was out of the water last year. It's now in the water this year. And as soon as my jig hit the water, my line went tight. I set the hook and this largemouth wrapped me around the stump three times. And I had to bring my boat up there. I'm like, oh, it got off, like whatnot, because I can't see it. 
So I unwrap my line and I pull tight, like how I would pull out of a snag just to like snap my lure, or hopefully it pulls out. And all of a sudden this four and a half pound largemouth comes jumping out of the stump and we're freaking out, like trying to get out of there so he doesn't wrap up again. And we got it in the net and it was, yeah, I think it weighed like four, eight or something like that, which is a respectable bass up here in North Dakota or Minnesota anyway. It's not a giant by any means, but just that sheer excitement of where'd that fish go? And how many times did it wrap me around that stump? So mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it kind of makes you wonder, like, what's really happening beneath the surface that you're not seeing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I see videos all the time. People take their GoPros and they'll put them down, like, in those tree roots and stuff. And those are just littered with fish. Now, how you would fish that without getting snagged and losing about $50 worth of lures? I couldn't tell you. But... It would be a lot of fun to fish, and especially if you got like live sonar or something like that, you could just Game Boy fish them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you've got uh, you've got that forward facing sonar on your boat now. How is how has that changed the way you fish for bass? Oh, I mean, it, it changed my offshore game completely, completely. Um, especially being able to see like eighty feet in front of the boat, or even the other day, I noticed that I wasn't letting my drop shot sink enough. I wasn't getting bit and I was just running out of patience and all of a sudden I cast it in the same direction as my live scope and I realized that I'm picking it up like three quarters of the way down and not letting it hit bottom and I'm starting to work that bait back well those fish if they're hanging off bottom I'm not I'm not even getting to them so I was able to figure that out but kind of bringing it back to the offshore game um, I'm able to just target my cast in certain areas so I'll find my structure on my side imaging, my down imaging, stuff like that, drop my wave points, kind of turn around spot lock, but I'll take my live scope and I'll kind of look at the structure and see what the best spot to cast is because more times often than not, those fish are hanging on the left side, the right side, behind, or in front. They're not hanging all around the rock. Mm-hmm. So you got to line that cast up perfectly. So that's where it really helped me. And then talking about those weed edges, it's really easy to... Well, it's super easy to look on your uh, 2D sonar and find that deep weed edge. But if you have live scope, you're just able to keep trolling and find that deep weed edge and then line that cast up perfectly. Whereas 2D sonar, you could just see it and drop away a point and kind of go from there. Yeah, then you then you have to go back and then get yourself, you know, spot locked or whatever. And then a lot of times you, you find the weed edge by, you know, trial and error. It's like I retrieve really slow and I got weeded up and, mm-hmm. and then kind of figure it out from there. But, you know, it's such an incredible time saver with that forward facing sonar. Yeah. And I mean, even the, even the other day I was fishing, I was fishing with a, uh, a Z-Man jackhammer and, you know, just slow rolling that over the weed, weed tops. And I cast in the same direction as my live scope. And I saw my bait starting to work back at about 60, 70 feet uh, back. I started seeing my bait just faintly. And all of a sudden I see this fish come up behind my lure and just kind of slowly follow it. Well, at that point, I know a fish is chasing me. So I could either like start yo-yoing it and do some like sporadic action to get that fish to bite. Or I could like speed up my retrieve to get a reaction bite off it. So sure enough, I sped up my retrieve and... I watched it all happen in front of my eyes. Like, I think I set the hook before I even felt the fish. I'm not going to lie to you. But it's just really cool once you start to learn your electronics, learn that live forward face sonar, and get those fish to react. So it's a lot of fun. Very cool. So, 
What, uh, what's your favorite bass fishing story? Oh boy. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, probably my favorite bass fishing story. I think this was like three and a half years ago, three or four years ago. Um, down in that South Dakota area, there's a lot of really good bass fishing for smallmouth bass. Um, and the cool thing about South Dakota is in the spring, you can get them to bite on a rigs and that's an Alabama rig. Um, or an umbrella rig is what they call it. And one thing with North Dakota, you're able to use two hooks. Minnesota, it's one hook. South Dakota, it's three hooks. So it's a really good way to get those fish to bite like schooling bait or whatnot. And sometimes you could even pull like two off one rig, you know, it's really fun. But anyway, going back about four years ago, we're down in South Dakota throwing a rigs off this sunken point. And we were kind of struggling the entire day, didn't really catch much, and all of a sudden me and my buddy tied on those A-rigs and started throwing them. Sure enough, like 15 minutes later, uh, we had 25 pounds of smallmouth bass in the box, like five <laughs> of them. It was absolutely insane. He broke his PB twice in 15 minutes. I broke my PB once, and our biggest, our biggest was almost six pounds, and our smallest was like five two. Like it was absolutely insane and it all happened in 15 minutes. And that just, that just honestly goes to show like how fast it can change for you, either fun fishing, tournament fishing, fishing for anything, you know, you just gotta keep your head down and keep, keep grinding, staying mad at them. Right. Mike? <laughs> yep. Absolutely. <laughs> I was wondering when that line would come out. Uh, sooner rather than later. <laughs> mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. It just goes to show that, you know, if you're, if you're struggling, don't be afraid to try new things, spice it up a little bit. And that was another thing too. Like I got a couple umbrella rigs just to say that I have umbrella rigs at that point. But it, once we figured out that we can use three hooks in South Dakota and we tied them both on, that's when I fell in love with throwing like big baits and big presentations. So it was a lot of fun. That was my first time throwing an umbrella rig and it worked out awesome. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so I mean, me being not super into the bass fishing and like, I know what an umbrella rig is, but can you, can you throw them in say like Minnesota and just not put hooks on it, put like spinners or something to like attract the fish? Absolutely. So those umbrella rigs, they have like seven spots that you can put hooks on them or dummy rigs. And essentially what a dummy rig is, is, is it's a swim bait head with a swim bait plastic, like a paddle tail or whatnot, and you just cut the hook off it. That counts as a dummy. Okay. Um, but then your live ones, you usually try to section those off in certain spots. So like when I'm in Minnesota, I can only throw one. I usually like to put it on one of the outside edges because that's where a fish is going to kind of swoop in and try to steal some of you. It's mm -hmm. like some of the bait anyway. In South Dakota, I kind of like to do like a triangle section, like one on the top, two on the bottom corners. Um, but, and usually those umbrella rigs, like I said, I think they have like five, six, seven different spots. And then, yeah, in Minnesota, you can put like six dummy rigs on one and then put a single hooked one and hope they hit that one or sideswipe a couple of them and they get pinned. So mm -hmm. is it, does it happen a lot where they hit the dummy rig and then you just go to set the hook and there's nothing All the there? All the time. Okay, so that's got to be pretty frustrating, though. All the time. And, in fact, that same fishing trip that we went down to South Dakota, we fished a nearby lake, and they have white bass in there. I was like, oh, they're schooling up. I'm going to throw my umbrella. I'm going to try to get three of them at the same time. And 
if you've never caught a white bass, when they're schooled up, you'll catch one and like 10 of them will follow you to the boat or follow the fish that you have on to the boat. And they'll just try to uh, take that fish or that bait out of that fish's mouth. It's unbelievable. Um, But no, I'm throwing that umbrella rig and sure enough, I get hooked up with a white bass and I'm watching all these white bass and they did not hit the other two hooks that I had on the umbrella rig. They hit all the dummy hooks and they were pulling the plastics off and stuff like that. <laughs> like, are you, you gotta be kidding me. You had three other options or two other options and you didn't get them. So it is what it is, but yeah, it is still pretty cool to see though. Oh, absolutely. They, I mean, it happened right on the side of the boat and we're all just like, really? Like you're not going to get the hooks, whatever, but it is pretty frustrating when that does happen. Mm-hmm. I believe it. So you talked a little bit about fishing Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota. You got a you got a bucket list lake out there you want to try? Ooh, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, there's a there's a lake in Mexico that I always watch these YouTubers go to, and they catch like 14, 15 pound largemouth, and it makes me super jealous. <laughs> I got to figure out what lake that is. That would be my first one. But my second one would be like Lake Okeechobee. So that would be really fun. I just honestly, anywhere in the southern area of like America or the Mm -hmm. United States, I should say um, that whole area. There's so many big fish in there. I caught a uh, we were down in Florida on a family trip. And sure enough, being the fisherman that I am, I'm like, I'm going to bring a fishing rod. If I get time to fish, I get time to fish. And all of a sudden we get to the place that we're staying and there's a bass pond in the back in the backyard. Oh, like, how convenient. I was like, oh, okay. Um, well, you guys go enjoy dinner. I'll, I'll be in the backyard. Um, no, but I made like three casts out there. And my third cast was a seven and a half pound largemouth. And I'm freaking out. Like this is a giant largemouth. Well, the owner of the Airbnb or whatnot comes out and goes, oh, you got a little one. I'm like what? Like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, yeah, we've caught in like 10, 10, 11 pounders in this bass pond. I'm like, no, you're lying. And he shows me photos of like 10, 11, maybe even a 12 pound largemouth. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm freaking out over a seven and a half pound largemouth. And you just show me up like that. So, <laughs> um, But no, there's so many great opportunities out there. I would say Lake Okeechobee, uh, St. Clair. I would really like to go there, chase some smallies. Um, and then I got to figure out what lake that is down in Mexico. Cause I watch these YouTube videos like all the time where they go down and catch like 15, 14 pound largemouth, and it's insane. Yeah. I can't even fathom catching a bass that big. I think the biggest one I caught is maybe five pounds. <laughs> yeah. And they catch them, they catch them on big Alabama, uh, spinner blade spinners. So they change out the blades on their spinner baits and they put like Alabama blades on them. So they thump a lot harder mm-hmm. and they throw them in brush piles, like out in 20 feet of water. And it's, oh my goodness. It's absolutely insane. Like, I really want to go there. Yeah. I, just I can figure out where I it's can at. just tell you, you're just getting all jittery and can hardly sit in your chair right now. <laughs> I'm almost standing for the viewers that are listening to us right now. <laughs> oh, love it. Great. So, all right. Well, Thank you for joining us today. You know, appreciate the advice and, uh, and best of luck for the rest of this open water season. Absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Mike. And good luck to all those anglers out there. Make sure you guys are staying safe on the water, um, keeping tight lines out there and staying mad at them.
You just heard our segment with Matt Schneider of the Fargo Shields Outdoors social media pages on bass fishing. We still got some great fishing left this summer, so if you need any rods, reels, lures, any of that stuff, make sure to head to your local Shields store or visit us online at shields.com. And with that, we'd like to thank you all for listening. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.